Welcome to our weekly Flutter space. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for hosting, Matt. For sure. So as a reminder to everyone, I mean, I, I was hoping we might get some more people flowing in here before we started, but, uh, you know, no reason to make the listeners that we've got wait any longer. Um, as a reminder, our Flutter space is a place for any Flutter and Dart developer to come and ask questions, make comments, showcase what they're working on. Uh, anybody who wants to speak can press that mic button. We'll bring you up to the stage. You can ask your question, make your comment, etc. And also, uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Matt Carroll. I was a member of the Flutter team for a couple of years. Uh, these days, I run the Flutter Bounty Hunters, where we work exclusively on open source Flutter and Dart packages. I also provide proprietary services under the Super Declarative brand. Ray, would you like to introduce yourself for the audience? Oh, sure. Thanks, Matt. Uh, hi, my name's Ray Lee. Uh, I am the CEO, CEO of Codelessly. Uh, so Codelessly is an app and website builder for Flutter developers. Uh, you can build Flutter apps and websites with Codelessly visually. Uh, so we're currently uh, pushing towards an open beta. Uh, there's a lot of work, uh, but recently, uh, just yesterday, we finished a big piece called Codelessly Data. Um, so that's pretty nice. So now you can store and retrieve data and build fully featured apps and websites. Um, I also build uh, the NoCD app. So uh, the NoCD app is um, a digital uh, teletherapy service for people with OCD. Uh, so those are the two things that I, well, <laughs> two of the few things that I work on. Um, I also have quite a few packages as well. Um, currently, I'm in uh, Kansas. Uh, so if that's interesting if you're in the u.s uh that's where i am you're in the middle of nowhere ray you're in flyover i am <laughs> right okay let's well, thanks for providing that intro and and talking about some of the things that you worked on uh, i will also say in the world of of things that are built with flutter we'll get probably to some news here in a bit about gemini which is something i just came across in my feed but I also want to mention that uh, Superlist, which is Superlist, is the primary funder for Super Editor. Super Editor is an open source package that my team at the Flutter Bounty Hunters built and we maintain. It's a document editing toolkit, and it has a number of funding companies that help us pay you know, pay the bills to get it built. And the primary funder is called uh, Superlist, and Superlist recently opened up their app to uh, public beta. So they were in closed alpha and then closed beta for quite a while. They're now in open beta. So if anyone is looking for a productivity app where you can define tasks, assign them, write entire documents per task, leave messages, uh, and operate with teams, I suggest you go uh, check out Superlist and see if that might solve your needs. It is a, uh, a Flutter-based app, so that might be interesting as well. Uh, but with that, I'm guessing that the primary news today is this thing called Gemini. So, Ray, has this come across your feed? And, and do you think maybe we should start there? Uh, good idea. Uh, so, I've definitely, I saw it. Um, I haven't watched all the videos. I watched the Flutter demo, though. So, I, I'm going to go and take that uh, and share it into this space, into the tweet box. Um, and, uh, yeah, we well, can, uh, I'll hand it back to you if you want to, if you know more about Gemini. 
So I, I just had a chance to look at a few tweets about Gemini before we jumped on here. So I'm not entirely sure where Gemini starts and ends. Uh, I, I saw a demo involving Flutter, where I guess Flutter widgets were being served up. It, I mean, it looks like their ver- Google's version of chat GPT, essentially, but I'm not sure how Gemini differs from BARD uh, and other Google AI efforts. So, Ray, once you're able to get that added into the, into the box up there, maybe you can mention anything else that you know about it. But let me also open that up to the audience. Does anyone in the audience know about Gemini? Would you like to talk about it, what it is, what it isn't? Just hit the mic button and we'll bring you up on stage and you can tell us, you know, whatever you know about it or whatever you think about it. And also, if you have any other Flutter topics or projects uh, that you'd like to share, like if you're building in public or you're an indie hacker or, you know, you have some packages or just the project you're working on, uh, we'd love to, you know, hear about it as well. And you can talk about uh, your project and share it with everyone listening. Uh, With specifically with Gemini, uh, what's interesting perhaps is how it will affect uh, Flutter development and um, us as, you know, app developers or, uh, you know, product developers. And uh, I say that because of the APIs that Google gives uh, developers are really good. So I had the chance to play with uh, Makersuite. Uh, So Google's uh, Makersuite, which lets you uh, set up um, your own um, ML models, uh, so you can you know leverage their existing uh, giant models and then customize them to f- to suit your data set. And it was really easy to use. And from what I saw with Gemini, they also released um, a bunch of really uh, developer friendly tools. Uh, so that's what's really exciting, I guess, for me about uh, because it looks like something that like every day they're lowering the barrier of entry to uh, more and more developers. So do you know what's, what's the bounding box for Gemini here? What, what does it bring to us? How does it differ from Bard? Do you have any sense of that from what you've seen? Uh, no clue. <laughs> I'm not the expert. I'm not the AI expert here. Um, I did share the tweet into the tweet box, um, and I want to know uh, how they're able to generate a dynamic UI inside of their Flutter app. So in the tweet box, uh, uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Moo uh, shared a video of a product demo of Gemini. And the Gemini, what's really exciting is their Gemini demo was built using Flutter. And it shows Gemini generating the UI in Flutter and then being able to essentially operate on that UI. So you can interact with the UI and you can uh, essentially highlight uh, parts of the UI and then ask questions about the results that are returned. Yeah, it's interesting to see Flutter widgets kind of generated. I suppose there are probably a few different ways you you might be able to attack that problem. Uh, One is that you could just kind of, you know, you can kind of inventory all the widgets that are available and then 
write code that then assembles those widgets at runtime, which is kind of what we all do. You just, but instead of like some of your deterministic Flutter code calling other deterministic Flutter code, you'd have some kind of AI system that's making the decisions about which widgets to compose. But then of course there's another possibility, which is kind of what we see with what Eric is doing over at Shorebird, where Shorebird provides code push, meaning you can deploy an app to the app store and then you can dynamically replace the code in the app with new code so that you can ship new features and you can fix bugs without building and deploying and reviewing an entirely new app binary. The way that works, my, by my understanding, is that instead of shipping a pre-compiled binary, you're actually shipping the uh, essentially the Dart bytecode, the just-in-time compiled code. And that has always been something that you can replace because that's how hot restart works. Hot restart replaces previous code with new code, and you can do that because it's essentially bytecode at that point. It's not actual binary. That's also, by the way, one of the reasons why people say if you want to see your real app performance compile in release mode, which actually does compile down to binary uh, rather than the bytecode that you get during debug mode. Uh, so both of those are possibilities. Maybe there's a third or fourth or fifth option that I'm that I'm not aware of, but that one of those two would be my guess. What do you think, Ray? Well, so I actually have a product and <laughs> a significant investment in this space with Codelessly. Uh, so we have a product. Um, I haven't promoted it uh, too much. I haven't promoted really uh, at all. Uh, since we've been uh, testing it with uh, a few dozen companies. Um, it's called Codelessly Cloud UI. Um, and essentially what that is, is uh, your solution number one. So we inventory all the Flutter vid widgets uh, and we uh, store layout, uh, Flutter layouts as data. So data is the source of truth and it's the foundational layer. Um, so we store code as data and we store UI as data. Um, so that lets us with an API, uh, and we're actually uh, somewhat working on this in the background as well. Uh, we're feeding you know, our API into uh, ChatGPT and uh, probably we'll give Gemini a try. Um, and we can ask ChatGPT to generate a uh, Flutter code, essentially Flutter layouts for us. And it gives us back uh, the usage, the JSON that uses our API, which we can then render. So that is supported for uh, debug or and production mode. And uh, you can run that and embed it into your app and have dynamic UI um, in production apps. So that's one possibility. Um, there are other, two other possibilities here. And I think you touched on something really interesting uh, with <laughs> mentioning how uh, it's actually, if we do some detective work, uh, they're running it in debug mode, uh, this Gemini demo. Uh, so that gives us hints to uh, maybe uh, what they're doing. Um, so the other uh, way to uh, generate dynamic UI and render dynamic UI is if you uh, deploy to web and you compile uh, Dart to JS. So you can do that. And that's how in some Flutter web apps, you can actually paste in your... Uh, Flutter code, Flutter UI code, or Flutter any Flutter code, and then it compiles it to JavaScript and then injects it into an existing uh, Flutter web app. So that's how you can get dynamic UI that way. Uh, but what's really interesting here 
and I think maybe we've cracked the code somewhat, is I would guess, unless they uh, Flutter is running their own uh, proprietary you know, uh, build where they turn off the secret flag that prevents you from shipping uh, dynamic code, you know, uh, building uh, that part of the engine that lets you uh, compile the code and run it just in time. So unless they're doing that, you'll notice that they're demoing Flutter in desktop, and they're also demoing it in uh, debug mode. So it's very likely, I would guess, that they are just replacing the code and then doing hot reload or something. So uh, that would be my guess. They have a, a package, you know, they have a folder, and they have ChatGPT-Bard, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> ChatGPT-Bard-Gemini. They're having Gemini perhaps generate the Flutter code into the package, and then just press hot reload, and da-da, you get, you know, the results packaged in the UI code that you can just render on the screen. That very well could be the case. Uh, I do wonder, of course, if, if you're going to have it work that way, then you would need Gemini to always <clears throat> generate at least compilable code uh, and also generally just correct code. So it's interesting how they might have solved that because ChatGPT hallucinates APIs all the time. Uh, but let me hand it over to Hassam, uh, who I brought on stage, requested to speak. Uh, what would you like to talk about? Awesome. It uh, looks like you're connecting still, uh, but when you connect, uh, you have the floor. And for everyone else, uh, please uh, press the mic button, come up, share your thoughts, uh, or ask any questions. On my end, it shows him as as connected and as a speaker so perhaps he uh perhaps he didn't mean to to request to speak or something it looks like he's he jumped off the stage now okay uh would anybody else like to come up and and uh discuss gemini or anything else ask any questions we're here to be an open discussion platform I guess while we're waiting to see if anybody wants to come up, Ray, is there anything else on your radar, any other news or any other topics you'd like to talk about? Uh, I have a few, uh, but I want to wait a little bit to see if anyone else wants to jump up. I, I do want to sort of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, does anyone else here want to help host these spaces? Um, I think it would be uh, really interesting to perhaps talk about some uh, government mechanisms, uh, some community growth uh, strategies, and generally uh, what people uh, what people like. So that's that that'd be my question to uh, our listeners and our participants here. So I guess, first of all, uh, would anyone else 
you know, come, like to come up and host. Uh, press the mic button, you know, come up. And I, I guess that delves sort of into this uh, discussion of uh, the format of these spaces, um, you know, some of the governance around these spaces. And what I really like about having these spaces. So we haven't really talked about, I guess, you know, our viewpoints, Matt, on how we should run these spaces, on how uh, how we want to grow these spaces, etc. cetera. Uh, but from my viewpoint, uh, what was really important to me is uh, making it so that um, anyone, uh, if they want to, they can also host their own spaces as well. Um, and to me, that's really important because uh, I, I don't want it to feel like that we're essentially uh, the permanent hosts, if that makes sense. Um, and the reason I don't want it to feel like that that way is because uh, this is, for me at least, I want this to really be community-driven. And if one of us is, you know, like the permanent host, if we have uh, like a certain degree of power or so over, you know, how, how we host these, over what's, you know, what the rules are, uh, then that could potentially exclude people from people that might want to uh, contribute their own efforts. Uh, they, they might think that, hey, uh, you know, Matt and Ray has got these flutter spaces. Uh, I don't want to join. I don't want to, you know, help anyway, because they're not my Twitter spaces. And that couldn't be, you know, further from the truth. And I, I want I want it to be, like, very clear, for me at least, that, <laughs> I mean, it's not easy to do these spaces. Um, so, like, we're, and I understand that it's not easy, and I hope everyone else understands that as well. Um, so, anyone that wants to help host and help contribute to these spaces, uh, they're, you know, offering, they're, they're contributing a lot. And uh, we do need that. So it's not, we're in control right now. We're just putting in a lot of effort uh, to try to grow this, uh, to try to make there, you know, be a room for people to have discussions. Um, and it's, you know, it's not easy always. Uh, so we are open to, uh, and we do encourage of uh, people to help us. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Matt? I, <clears throat> I, I think that it would be great to have more people doing more spaces. I think, first I would say, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. You know, we'll notice that it's fairly rare that anybody even joins us up on stage. Maybe we'll get two or three people in one of these spaces to come up and say something. So that suggests to me that either most people simply aren't interested in speaking publicly or they don't feel like they have interesting ideas. I think before we worry about who's going to host what spaces when, I'd like to see more of the people in this room come up and share their ideas. I'd like people to get more comfortable speaking publicly about what they're working on or questions they have or experiences they have with Flutter and Dart. And if some of those if we have some kind of recurring people who come in here and share news and share ideas and projects, then those might be people who are good candidates to occasionally go off and do their own spaces 
to just keep the conversation going. But I also, it's, there's also a point at which if you have a bunch of spaces, they're all kind of competing with each other. I think what I would like to see mostly is spaces in different time zones. I, I think, you know, we've got this time covered, uh, and we, which is going to bring in a certain geography of people based on what time it is where you live. We know that uh, e- even though I see, see Rudvik is here, it's probably a really bad time for him to be listening. You know, he, where he lives, there might be a space that could be scheduled at a very different time that would be a lot more, that'd be a lot easier for him to join. And so I, that's what I'd like to see mostly is let's spread out the times and the time zones and the geography and make sure there's kind of always a space that, that Flutter developers anywhere in the world have an opportunity to join. Uh, and in fact, let me let me bring Rutvik on stage here. Rutvik, you've got the floor. What's up? Looks like he's still connecting. All right, we'll give him a second. But anyway, so so okay, Rutvik, are you on there? Are you connected now? Oh uh, yep. Hey Matt. Hey. How's it going? Yeah, it's been great. Like as Matt mentioned, like yeah, it's. Uh, it's a bit late. I'm like it's like uh, two a.m. right now here. So yeah, I think uh, if we could have like uh, more spaces uh, that are like of like uh, different time zones, I think it would be like uh, more people could join in. Because like uh, most of the times, these spaces like go for like two three hours. Like sometimes it's okay to like uh, I uh, I try to like uh, hop in and stay as long as possible, but uh, it's not always possible. I'm like. If so if you want to have like that uh, different space around different time zones, it would be really great. Yeah, exactly. And because I, I, you know, I don't want people to have to stay up late or get up early for these. Like for me, this is we start at 12 p.m. This is a super convenient time for me, and so I'm happy to come on and host and talk and and coordinate these things. But I know for other people, it's a really bad time. So I'd love to see different times, different time zones. And it's also possible, you know, maybe have some in different languages, really wrap everybody in. And I think that'd be great. We're also, uh, we're putting together a website where people will be able to, to see some of our historical episodes. We'll link to the tweets and it'll also be there as marketing to share around to let people know that we're doing these spaces. If other people do host spaces, we're, we're happy to add those people as hosts on that web page and to link to those recordings as well. So like Ray said, we'd love to be a part of building something a bit bigger and something that's a bit more inclusive. But I think it, I think it, it largely begins with, with people who are willing to come up on stage here and talk a little bit because Ray, at the end of the day, that's all you and I are doing here. We're just two members of the community who press start on a space. And then we talk about what we're working on. We talk about news. We talk about our ideas and understanding of Flutter. I think we just need more people who, who are willing to give that a try. And so let me also point that back again to, the, to everyone listening here. Would anyone like to come up and just talk about anything Flutter or Dart? It, there really are no limitations as long as everyone remains respectful. And I just, I just brought Mike up on stage. Mike, how's it going? Everybody. Hi, Matt and Ray. Yeah, it's going good. It was an interesting start of this uh, session. I heard already about uh, Gemini, so that seemed very exciting. But I actually had another topic that I, I, I didn't, wasn't quite on board from the start of, uh, of this meeting. But 
I, I've been experimenting with signals a little bit, and it's looking pretty good. Has anybody else been trying it out? I haven't tried it, but it's I have like a CNOS. That's that's for the uh, the Vision Pro, right? No, signals. Uh, it's a, a new sort. Well, you know the ever never ending state management, but it's more like a reactive programming. It's a little bit like oh, okay. a fancy value listenable, and also like streams and RX Dart. But it's uh, really easy to use and nice. It's uh, the port that Roddy Davis did is from Preact signals from from JavaScript. But when I started looking at it, I found another package that was also from ported from SolidJS called uh, uh, SolidArt, like a word played on SolidDart, but just SolidArt, another package like that. But um, the one from Preact is, I think, more interesting, that port, because it's supposed to be more performant than the one from SolidArt. Not, not that I know if it's a big difference or not, but, but anyway, I've been playing with a little bit with the package that... Uh, Roddy Davis has made and, and published, and it's really nice. It's uh, it's a really nice development experience and using using it. So so, anybody wants to take a look at it, could be. A, I, I recommend it. It's it's really nice. Can you spell that name for us, just so we're sure everyone knows what it's called? Uh, signals. So S I G N A S A L S. Yes, signals. It's, uh, it's okay, a quite signal. fresh package made by, by this really nice documentation site about it. I mean, it's, it's quite commonly used in, in, in the JavaScript world, uh, the signals as a reactive programming paradigm. Okay, good to know. Well, I, uh, I never use state management packages, so I probably won't be one of the ones to jump in there. But for those who do like to uh, try new state management packages, maybe that's one that, uh, that you'll enjoy. Yeah, this one is, is really hey, thanks. really popular and well known from the Java, JavaScript world. It's I mean it's basically an in, implementation of observables, but uh, a really nice one with uh, computed reactive things like you have in uh, Mobex, for example, but uh, without any code generation. So that really makes it nice, and especially as code gen has been creeping into a lot of the state management package. I think this one is uh, refreshing and quite lightweight. The code base for it is also quite small and almost understandable it's still quite complicated and advanced but it's uh, it's a short code base so it's quite nice so you can really look into it and see what's going on there and you can find from the original javascript implementation also there there are articles behind it from preact about how they developed it and, and how they removed the original observables that are from the, the signals from that so it's it's quite nice I will I will caution people to the extent that uh, you know when I spent many years as an Android developer, RX Java came on the scene and became very popular, and it was incredible how many people ruined entire code bases by spreading that reactive stuff in all these places that didn't need it. So if you're gonna explore that world, maybe either do it in your own personal project first to, until you learn what works or maybe be a little bit conservative, but there were a lot of Android projects that just completely ruined themselves because everyone thought RX, all the stuff was so much fun. Just a word of caution when you get into the world, world of reactivity. Uh, I did see that Justin uh, came up on stage. So Justin, how's it going? Anything on your mind? Yeah, uh, hi everyone, hi Matt. 
So, first point I want to I want to put in regarding the state management. So I so I listened to the previous, the last week's space. Uh, you guys invited Remy to talk about Riverport. So I'm just I'm just saying uh, it would be cool if we could invite Felix, the author of Flutter Blog. Like I'm sure there will be a lot of Flutter developer want to ask Felix question regarding that. And the second question that I have is about routing packages. So, which is like about the Flutter Navigator 2.0. Uh, so I have been using the Go Router package promoting promoted by the Flutter team. So I kind of noticed that there are some existing issue that has been there around for more than a year. And when I go read some Reddit uh, forum, I like the developers say that they don't encounter those issues when they use the other packages such as other route, but Go router is promoted and owned by the Flutter team. And recently I do saw a a tweet saying why did the Flutter team owns like reowns the uh, the Go router package whereas like there are so many issues existing in that and uh, it hasn't really solved that many issues yet. So do you guys have any idea about that? Thanks, Justin. Uh, I think your second question about navigation sounds the most interesting and something we can really dive into. And so in, in a moment, let's come back to that one. Um, Ray and Mike might have some input. Uh, and also, Rudvik, if you're, if you're using any navigation systems in your primary job, you can maybe mention that a little bit too. But let me start with the state management part just to I'm, I'm torn on that um, for the following reasons. <clears throat> if we just want to encourage a bunch of people to come in and listen and we kind of want the view count and that kind of thing, then I think it's absolutely true that inviting the authors of very well-known state management packages to come talk about them would probably accomplish that. My concern, however, which is goes to the concern that I've had for so many years in the world of Flutter which is that I think, I think a lot of Flutter developers spend a very disproportionate amount of their time uh, learning about, discussing, debating, and arguing about this stuff called state management, which doesn't yield them any... It, they're not learning Flutter. They're not even really learning app development. They're just fixating on these, on these technical API decisions are you going to use these things called blocks and qubits, or are you going to use a Redux store, or are you going to use RiverPod with providers and consumers? And now we're talking about signals. And I think so many developers, they could be spending that time learning how Flutter actually works. They could become deeper Flutter developers. They could also spend that time learning about OS integrations like payment systems and user location services. But instead, we just keep coming back to these, these social arguments and discussions about so-called state management. And so I hesitate 
to have these spaces become yet another place that gets consumed, even if it's totally productive, even if it's totally respectful, uh, becoming consumed by this topic of state management. Now, at the end of the day, this space is for the community and what the community wants, they're going to get. But I just want to point out that that is my personal concern with the idea of kind of having a a series of spaces where we bring in state management authors and we talk about state management packages and we further that fixation on a topic that, again, across all the packages I've built, across all the apps I've worked on, I've never even used a state. Well, I've used them to the extent that I've seen where they fall apart and I've worked with companies to actually remove them, but I've never added a state management package to an app or one of my own packages and that's never been a problem. So it's clearly possible to do this job without it. And I I just wish more Flutter developers would spend more time learning Flutter and learning the OS integrations than this kind of abstract middleware. That's just my my personal two cents. Ray, I'll let you jump in if you want to counter any of that. But otherwise, there's the second question about Navigator, which again, that actually does go into real Flutter behavior. I'd be interested to see what kind of viewpoints we have on Navigation. Uh, Yeah, thanks, uh, Matt. Uh, So... I've spent uh, over uh, 1,200 hours probably uh, writing my own navigation library. Uh, So I am very, very familiar with uh, Navigator 2. Um, And it's a conversation that uh, would take, you know, hours, countless hours. So I'm here as a resource. If you have any questions, um, I can answer any questions. Um, And I can also just tell you uh, the reason why uh, navigator and go, uh, navigator two and go router uh, what the crux of the problem is so i can tell you that as well um uh, but back to uh really quickly i want to touch on justin you had a really great question about um inviting inviting uh, other speakers um you know uh package authors and yeah uh, i would love to invite felix <laughs> um but i don't know how promising that is uh <laughs> Uh, so Remy, Remy uh, was very kind to come on, um, and Felix would be very kind to come on as well. So I will definitely invite him, uh, but there's no promises. Um, and it, it is uh, these spaces. Um, I understand that they are uh, perhaps uncomfortable for some people. Uh, so uh, one thing I learned uh, from other people hosting spaces is that uh, if you title your space, you know, first time speakers welcome, uh, you actually get a lot of first time speakers. So there is this sense of, hey, I want to join the space. I want to listen to it a few times before actually participating. Uh, and if you feel that way um, or you feel there's any blockers uh, blocking you from coming up and, you know, joining and discussing, pressing the mic button. Uh, yeah, you can message me um, or, you know, just comment on these spaces threads uh, because we want to improve. We want to make this something that really works for you and the community. So if there's any blockers, uh, please let us know or any, you know, uh, ways for us to uh, help um, uh, help make this better. Okay, finally, uh, about that state management um, uh, point that you brought up, uh, Matt, um, I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you actually saved me, uh, 
it, I, I've been loving Flutter the last two weeks ever since rediscovering that Flutter is essentially it provides everything, almost everything built in uh, that we need for state management. And it's really forced me to uh, reevaluate a lot of my preconceptions. For example, uh, uh, something I've been pushing this week is that uh, a lot of people have misconceptions about the constant keyword. So people think that you should use the constant keyword for everything. Uh, but that's actually not true, because if it was true, then uh, you wouldn't need the constant keyword. Then the compiler uh, would automatically um, add the constant keyword for you. What the constant keyword does when you put it in front of a Flutter uh, widget is it effectively acts as caching that widget, caching it so it doesn't need to be rebuilt when you call set state or when the widget tree rebuilds, um, a parent widget rebuilds. And that concept alone is uh, quite controversial. And I've talked with a few developers, and it's something that <laughs> takes people uh, perhaps you know a few hours or maybe even a few days or weeks to uh, unlearn. Uh, so <laughs> that that's something I've been learning is that we have a lot of concepts, we have a lot of preconceptions in development, um, and all of those, you know, has helped us get to where we are today. Uh, but uh, sometimes those preconceptions need to be challenged, like people's preconceptions about state management. And sometimes it is very, very worth challenging by understanding how, how to actually use the constant keyword. I was able to solve a very longstanding problem uh, that I hadn't been able to solve before of how to manage nested tabs uh, with a very, you know, uh, quite a few ne uh, nested pages. So you have nested tabs within nested tabs within nested pages. And I hadn't found an elegant way to do that. But with the constant keyword, um, I was able to eliminate something like a few dozen event streams and listeners. <laughs> and it really cleaned up my code. Uh, so I guess that's my point, about, uh, or what I'd like to say about state management, is that uh, thank you so much, Matt, for helping challenge those conceptions. And there are so much about how Flutter actually works that we haven't fully learned yet. Um, I just learned the other day there's something called a keyed subtree, and apparently there's a way to use that to help um, optimize rearranging the order of items inside of a stack inside of a column. So there's also ways to use global keys to uh, manage and reuse a part of your widget tree. And that's what you know I'm looking more into. So Flutter has a lot of built-in capabilities and we haven't found all of them and we haven't used it fully, I don't think, yet. Yeah, probably the answer to your tab issue is also global keys global so when when flutter runs a build cycle after the first frame obviously you have a bunch of widgets that have already been built in the previous frame so that there you have the widget tree you also have the element tree and you have the render tree you, there's also a focus and semantics tree but that's usually other other concerns when you want to keep something around or you want to deal with ordering across declarative widgets 
typically the answer is global keys because when that element tree does its update, the element tree is responsible for mapping widgets to render objects. So render objects, they do all the layout, they do sizing, they do, uh, they do the painting, they're all the visual details. But these element things are responsible for, for deciding which widget gets associated with which render object. And in that process, elements look for these things called global keys. Global keys are a way of saying, from frame to frame to frame to frame, I want this widget to stay with its state object and its render object. It's a way to force Flutter to keep those objects together across frames instead of rearranging them. Now, in general, you do want Flutter to rearrange because Flutter is making decisions about recycling things from the previous frame into the next frame, so that's good. But when you care about those relationships, global keys, of course, to a certain extent, you can also use value keys and things, but the, the kind of the bludgeon here the, the strongest tool is global keys because in fact, if you have a global key, you'll notice that you can access a state object through the global key. That that global key, not only is it associated with a widget and an element, it's also associated with a state object. It bundles all of those together across frames. And this kind of goes back to a discussion that we've had, that we had many weeks ago where we were talking about the event loop and the fact that these declarative UI toolkits are based on the idea that you build a frame, then you build the next frame, you build a frame after that, and there's nothing that connects these frames. They're, your code doesn't cross that boundary. You just say what you want on every single frame. Generally, that's great, but it creates this problem where sometimes you actually care how frame two relates to frame one. And that is a place where keys come in, especially global keys. So Ray, my guess is that you mentioned using const to get your tab uh, configuration working. My guess is that actually- uh, Removing constant. Okay, removing it. Uh, my guess is that really, if you wanna make sure that you maintain certain ordering there and certain relationships that what you want are global keys in certain places. By the way, keyed subtree, for those who have never heard about this widget, think about all the widgets where you occasionally pass a key. Now imagine that you're creating your widget tree and you want to add a key in your widget tree, but that's all you want. Like you don't, you're not trying to specify a width or a height or a color. You just want to say, I want this key to be bound to everything below that point in the tree. That is what the keyed subtree widget does. You introduce that widget, all it takes is a key, and then you can you can then, of course, if it's a global key, you can access the state. Uh, if it's a value key, that will still influence how the elements match the widgets to the render objects. So that's what keyed subtree is for. Um, but we kind of we kind of rushed past the the navigator topic. I do want to mention uh, a couple details. So th there's a question of why did that become this kind of Flutter adopted package? Part of that was due to popularity for sure. But I think another factor was that Chris Sells was the one who wrote GoRouter. And Chris Sells was a Google employee. He was a member of the Flutter team at the time that he did that. That makes the package Google's property regardless. Uh, again, I've mentioned this in a previous call. Anything that a Google employee writes, any code that a Google employee writes at any time on any machine for any purpose, 
essentially belongs to Google. So Chris Sells wrote Go Router. It was going to be Google's property either way. It was also it also became quite popular, and I think that those two things together probably resulted in them kind of endorsing it. Now I haven't used it much. I've used it in a couple projects, so I I haven't really dug deep into the places where it fails or or, or where it does well. I'll leave that to other people to come up here and discuss. And again, Rutvik, I don't know if you've had much experience with it, but if you have, you're, you're welcome to jump in here. What I will, what I do want to let the audience know about, though, is that let me draw a correlation to some of the state management discussion. There's this idea that what you should do is completely centralize control over all state objects, and that's called state management. I'm a big proponent of do, of doing things where you need to do them, local control. So I have a bunch of state objects that do their own stuff and it works just fine. I don't centralize in some global structure or package for state management. I want to make sure that everyone understands you, you don't really need to completely centralize navigation either. It's true that especially when you go to web or when you have deep links, you do need to be able to associate a path, a URL path, with a particular UI. That's true. That's a kind of unavoidable global detail. But there may be any number of pages or screens or flows that don't correspond to a global route. And in those cases, you don't need to hook that up into some global centralized routing system. Uh, you can just have a flow widget, for example, which chooses which page to show at a given time. It doesn't doesn't have to be related to navigation at all. And I think for a lot of people, that might simplify a lot of places where their global navigation seems to get out of control. Because again, you're trying to tie a route and global visibility into every page, every screen, every flow in your app. It's no wonder it gets complicated. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that you don't need to centralize navigation all the time either. But Justin, did you want to... So first of all, Rudvik, do you have any experience with GoRouter that you want to bring up? And if not, then Justin, is, is there anything more specific that you'd like to jump into there? Uh, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, from my side, I don't think I have anything to share about GoRouter. Like, I personally hadn't had a chance to like use it, uh, really. Uh, there were like a couple of web projects I'd worked in the past uh, that needed some of the uh, uh, routing capability. Like on web, like sometimes you need to pass certain kind of data to the next page that you're visiting. But on the web, what would happen? Like uh, if you refresh the tab, then all that data would log. So I think uh, that's one of the cases where people uh, like uh, tend to move towards using Go Router when they want to persist that uh, past data. But uh, in my case, like uh, in one project that I worked on uh, like a year or two back, uh, we used a package called Beamer. Uh, I think that that achieved a similar purpose, but. Uh, uh, I don't know the level of complexity between using that package particular and the go router, uh, uh, but I would say that like uh, the developer that had uh, previously worked on the like uh, the project that I worked on, he previously tried to include go router within it, but uh, like as he as he told me, like uh, I don't remember the specific details. Uh, the uh, complexity of the code base and the things that he wanted to were just uh, getting out of hands for what he wanted to achieve. Uh, so he moved to this like other Beamer package that uh, got the same thing done, but had a uh, little bit of a low complexity level there. 
other than that like i think uh, for so like some people uh, try to use it for like uh, dynamic click sharing as you told mac like uh, they want to like uh, uh, navigate to a certain page uh, when they receive a certain kind of link within their app but for those cases as well like uh, i have built some uh, desktop and web apps and i found the uh, navigator 1.0 to be uh, far more sufficient there like uh, i hadn't felt any need to like uh, move to using navigator 2.0 the uh, the go router there for any of those cases as up till now like i may have not like uh, experienced like the need for need for go router specifically but uh, i uh, up until now i haven't felt like uh, limited in terms of what i could do in navigation with the default what uh, flutter offers Okay, thanks, Rudvik. So it sounds like you haven't used it much. Maybe saw a little bit, but you've also you've used the original Navigator implementation, and that seems to have solved your problems. I've also made ample use of the original Navigator uh, API, and that has usually been fine for me. It does get a bit verbose, and uh, the original Navigator you, you need to be aware of what some different lifecycle hooks actually mean. I think that a lot of people have shied away from it. Because they don't really understand what on generate initial route and on generate route are supposed to do, or when they do it. Once you do learn what those are meant to do, it's relatively straightforward. But again, I, I think most developers have been kind of intimidated by that. But Justin, are there any other details related to Go Router that you wanted to talk about or or dig into? So recently, I jumped into an issue. Yeah, yeah. So I have a technical issue, but. I'm not sure if I can uh, explain to everyone since it's a technical one. It would need you, you would need some code to look at to easily understand it. But basically, the issue that I jump into is so Gorilla introduced a concept called shell route, which is basically support you to do uh, nested navigation, where it basically internally create a navigator object uh, inside the shell route. So the issue that I'm jumping, jumping into is imagine you, you basically initially you have a thing called, let's just call it an outer, an outer navigator and inside the shell route, it will be called the inner navigator. So when you use the package go router, to so you would normally use context.go so if you were to go from an a, a page that is in the outer navigator to the page that is inside the shell route which is the which is the uh, inner navigator the so the 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 thing that i'm caring about is the transition animation. So the transition animation only plays on the shell route, the shell page, but it doesn't play on the inner inner page in the inner navigator. So that's the issue that I just jump into. I do file an, an issue for that. Uh, yeah, so that's the issue that I Thanks, Justin. Yeah, that's probably something that has to be addressed either on Stack Overflow or in the repo. 
I mean, I could take some random guesses at it. One, that might be intent, the intended behavior. Two, you might accidentally be accessing an ancestor context. You have to make sure that you're using the context you think you are. Also, in the in context.go or whatever those methods are, you, you probably want to check to make sure that it's not saying to use the root navigator, because sometimes you do want to use the root navigator. That's an option that that is possible. So you need to make sure that Go Router isn't internally doing that. Uh, but you know, I think we'll wait to see what your filed issue says. Um, but this is, you know, notice like th this is what I mean when I talk about centralizing navigation. That you define all of these global routes, and then it it appears that this concept of a shared route is now injecting these kind of hidden sub navigators. So now you're, you're introducing these navigators all through your widget tree that you don't necessarily know about. Uh, you don't control when they, when they're there and when they're not there, you don't control what accesses them. And this, this is why centralization in early projects, it provides simplicity. And then the longer you work on something, the more complex centralization becomes because it requires that a single package and a single API account for literally all possible features and desires of any application of any kind. That's essentially what you're asking of Go Router. It's what you're asking of uh, provider and blocks, any of these central uh, responsibilities that you're just going to apply everywhere. Think about all the different people using that package around the world and think about all the different apps they're building with that package at the center. You're essentially saying this package has to apply to all apps of all types at all sizes. What are the odds that that's ever going to work out in the long term? And I think that's why over time these things just become that they don't have the features you need and they become really complex and they do things you didn't realize they're doing, and they're doing things that you don't want. Um, so not to say that anyone shouldn't use Go Router, but it probably would at least be a good idea for most Flutter developers to have a sense for how they would build their widget tree if they didn't have a singular global navigation system with all their various routes. So I'll just I'll leave that there. Uh, Ray, did you want to jump in with any further thoughts? Oh uh, yes. Uh, so I agree 100% with uh, what you just said, Matt. Uh, so I, I love your takes. Um, I think you're correct about uh, pretty much, you know, all of your uh, takes, even if they're controversial. Uh, but I can provide some more uh, technical uh, information behind uh, your question, Justin. So uh, as luck would have it, <laughs> I actually have the shell route documentation up on my screen in a tab uh, right now. And the reason was because I was looking into it. I was looking into how does this shell route thing work? And it's, it is, in my opinion, uh, one of the worst ideas I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, if, if, okay, whoever built this, um, if you, you know, if you're standing in front of me, I would still say that, but I would ask that you, you know, you help me understand. Uh, and that's my philosophy here is that, hey, uh, maybe I'm not understanding the shell route, uh, but it just looks very, very bad to me. Uh, 
Um, and it falls into a lot of the issues with nested navigators that I won't go into, but I think we've all experienced if we've tried. Uh, but what I can do to perhaps be uh, positive and constructive, Justin, is in the tweet box, I shared uh, the documentation to Shaorout. And I also shared um, a video from Adim Kong. Um, he actually goes through how he implemented uh, nested navigation with Go Router. So uh, if you have questions, um, he seems to understand and align with Go Router. Uh, so he would be a good resource to ask and watch his video, um, and it might answer some of your questions. Uh, specifically about your question about uh, the animations, um, I have some hints as to what it, uh, what you're talking about uh, because I'm pretty familiar with uh, this Nesta navigation implementation in Navigator 2. Um, so the, uh, a common cause of issues is that uh, when you have a nested router, the nested router has exactly the same capabilities as the parent router. So you don't have a specific nested navigator. Uh, your navigator uh, is the same as your uh, root navigator. Uh, but what Flutter uh, does is that it, uh, the latest navigator, so your nested navigator, it takes over. It takes over all of the routing for your entire app uh, while it's active. And only after you remove that navigator does the parent navigator all of a sudden uh, come alive again and be like, oh, hey, uh, I just remember that I exist. Uh, I, I don't know what happened in the last you know, few uh, pages, but I'm back again. So there are some really, really problematic and very complex interactions between nested navigators. Um, and I think the animations could be one of them uh, because uh, navigations already are essentially uh, crowbarred in. They feel like they're crowbarred in between the concept of pages, between the concept of routes. So it might be some interaction there, but uh, best of luck. <laughs> uh, I hope that helped. Yeah, thank you, Ray. Uh, it really helps. I'll be looking at the post you sent in it in the space. Great. Thanks for uh, coming up to the stage, Justin. And of course, you're welcome to stay here and, and mention anything else that you'd like as we move forward. I'd like to also, ex again, extend the invitation to anybody in the audience. Feel free to come up, ask a question, make a comment, whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about, as long as it's related to Flutter or Dart. Um, I don't know that I have any other topics on my end. How about you, Ray? Um, not specifically. Um, I would like to circle back, though, to uh, what we were discussing about um, co-hosts, etc. cetera. Uh, what was really cool is I think we are inspiring people. Uh, there was a Japanese a Flutter Spaces that I saw a few days ago. Uh, of course, I don't understand Japanese. So I don't understand what they were talking about, uh, but there is a Japanese Flutter community as well. And so we are, you know, we did something. We inspired other people to also host their own spaces. Great. I mean, I don't know if, if we can actually take any credit for that, given we have no idea who they are, or what they were saying. 
But if we inspired them, then that's great. No, I, well, maybe, uh, but yeah, maybe they just did it by themselves. Uh, oh, we do have a request and uh, to remind everyone again, uh, you can just press the mic button and we'll bring you up and give you priority. Uh, hi there, can you hear me? Yeah, you can. Oh, great. So first of all, uh, uh, Matt and Rave, thank you for hosting this space. I just discovered it by accident. I just found out it's a weekly space. Just found out about it, so it's my first time here. Uh, and uh, I had a, a curiosity uh, if any of you um, uh, worked with uh, or is interested in Flutter and uh, WebAssembly. Because I personally find it really interesting. I mean, the thought of not having to use uh, JavaScript for a web app is really is something that excites me a lot. So I was curious, what's your uh, take uh, on uh, on uh, Flutter and WebAssembly? Well, Bogdan, I'm glad that you found our uh, our little space, and I'm glad that you came up on stage to chat about WebAssembly. I don't have a technical exposure to it, but I've generally been watching that progress has been made and that I think Dart and Flutter are both kind of just at each milestone for, for WebAssembly's development. They're just waiting to have the right capabilities to integrate it with Flutter for Web. One big thing has been garbage collection, which I believe was recently implemented in WebAssembly. I believe WebAssembly has delivered that. And so I think that requirement has now been provided to Dart and Flutter. I don't know the latest state of Dart and Flutter's support for WebAssembly, but I, I'm 100% in support of it because I mean I, I have some long-standing critiques of the world of browsers, uh, some of which you can find on my on my super declarative YouTube channel where I talk about the web and Flutter. But it, I think it was always a mistake that the browser anointed HTML and CSS and JavaScript and the document object model and box layout as this special combination of things that you have to use to create all things that people access with the browser. The browser should have been a portable operating system. Uh, you, you, should, you should have been able to paint any pixels, handle any gestures, process any key inputs, access any sensors in a portable sandboxed way known as the browser. But through history, that isn't what we ended up with. WebAssembly is now finally kind of a move in that direction where the browser will be a portable operating system which runs this arbitrary code and provides arbitrary access. And I think that I think that should eventually allow something like Flutter for Web to be as performant and considered as native and as normal uh, on a web page as HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And so I'm a, I'm a big fan of that and a proponent, and I hope that's where Flutter eventually gets to, thanks to WebAssembly. But all that's pretty high level, and that's, that's kind of my thoughts and viewpoint. Ray, do you have any kind of deeper or more specific understanding of WebAssembly and the direction that Flutter and Dart is moving in that regard? Uh, not specifically. Um, I'm excited about it, though, because the promise uh, from what uh, I've seen, uh, at, at Codelessly at least, is uh, Codelessly 
Uh, so if you don't know, um, I'm the CEO and founder of Codelessly. Uh, so we, we build uh, a Flutter app and website builder. Uh, so you can build Flutter and web apps and generate code from Figma um, in a visual editor. Um, so it's the most powerful uh, visual uh, builder for Flutter and web apps. Um, and on desktop, when we run Codelessly on desktop, uh, we get uh, Figma level performance. It's really incredible. Uh, Flutter is incredibly performant. However, when I, we run on web, uh, we don't get that performance. And I'm very excited uh, for the promise of WebAssembly because from what we've seen, uh, WebAssembly will let us get very close and in some places even exceed uh, Figma's performance on web uh, for our editor. Great. So, yeah, major performance improvements in that regard then. Uh, and I, I would imagine we'll also see binary size reductions and, and some things on that level too. Uh, Rudvik and Justin, do either of you have exposure to WebAssembly? And do you have any thoughts there? Um, no, uh, yeah, uh, I don't think I have any thoughts of that right now. But like, I want to dive deeper into like how it's going to impact how we write Flutter web app and how it will like impact on the performance of those web apps. My expectation is that WebAssembly won't, shouldn't impact how we do anything at the Flutter level, that it should be pretty much just a compilation issue. So when you say Flutter build web, the stuff that comes out the other side of that I imagine would be WebAssembly artifacts uh, as opposed to HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Or maybe it would still be HTML that would load WebAssembly, but I would guess that's where the change is going to happen. Bogdan, was there any, were there any more specific uh, thing, aspects of WebAssembly that you'd like to dig into with regard to Dart or Flutter? No, I, I think it's uh, still an early topic. And uh, I was curious, uh, this one is for Ray, if uh, uh, you tried uh, building codelessly uh, with uh, the WebAssembly flag, if you tried. I mean, I, I believe I tried it for a sim sample father app, but uh, I remember that uh, for the sample father app, it kind of worked. But as soon as I tried uh, using some other widgets, which were also part of the Flutter library, standard library, I think it got into some compilation errors. So I would say it's still early, but I was curious if you uh, did any, uh, if you already did any experiments with trying to build Codesly uh, as uh, for web, web assembly as a build target. Good question. <laughs> uh, I couldn't even get our mini editor. So we have our main editor and then we also have our uh, standalone mini editor that we use to test our main editor <laughs> because it's such a big project. Uh, I couldn't get the mini editor working. Um, so I think uh, it's... it's. <laughs> I, I'm going to blame Firebase. I think it's always Firebase that has issues. But uh, I, I, I do hope... Uh, <laughs> I mean, we can't get rid of Firebase, but uh, I do hope things work out soon. Um, no, I haven't had success with it, with uh, Codelessly. Okay, uh, looking forward, if you have made any progress on the, 
on that area. I'm looking forward to to see your uh, your reports on that. Um, one other thing uh, that came to my mind right now, uh, as uh, I also heard uh, Matt talking about state management and that the fact that state management is a really popular topic. Uh, one uh, one thing that I would in, encourage personally, I don't know if I uh, want to make this suggestion, but uh, if you're developing a Flutter package, maybe don't tie it to a particular state management solution because I've seen packages where um, different various packages on, on PubDev where they have samples uh, related to uh, provider or block or river pod. And uh, when trying to use those packages in your app, even though you're not using that particular state management, you have to include it with, with your app. And uh, maybe um, a suggestion for everyone considering to build a package is to not tie it to a, a particular state management package and just use the the basic state management uh, um, techniques and methods that are uh, provided by uh, by Flutter by default. Thanks, Bogdan, for mentioning that. That's actually exactly something that we talked about on the in our last space where we had Remy on. Remy being the author of Provider and RiverPod, and uh, and I I provided the exact same warning. I said, look, if you put if you embrace any particular state management package in your open source package then you are tell any app that uses a different approach they they can't use your package so you're eliminating a huge number of people who could otherwise use your package and remy also completely agreed he said yeah you know, use use if you want to use state management use it at the app level don't go sticking it in a bunch of packages because then that fractures the ecosystem so i think so you're now you're the you're the third person to point out how that can create problems and it sounds like you've experienced some of those problems yourself. I completely agree. I think that's very important advice. If you're going to write an open source package, make sure it's useful to as many people as possible. And one of the critical ways to do that is to not embrace any one particular paradigm or one particular state management package. So thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, and I guess let's, uh, I'm sorry, Justin, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I just want to have a question about the WebAssembly integration. So is it going to have breaking changes as comparing to the Impaler uh, rendering engine? Since it's kind of premature when the Flutter team decided to turn that on by default. It's a good question. I guess, I mean, so Ray, we're talking about bringing some guests in. Maybe we should invite Kevin Moore over to one of these. Because Kevin Moore, now he's he's more focused on the Dart side, but he goes around and talks about WebAssembly a lot. He's a big proponent of this. Um, he's, he's on the team. He knows what's going on. I think that might be a great guest to really dig into some of these topics. So Ray, maybe you or I or both of us could go uh, bug Kevin Moore and see if he wants to jump on. But Justin, you asked about kind of breaking changes and you also brought up Impeller. I actually don't know what the intention is for Impeller with regard to WebAssembly. On the one hand, WebAssembly exists to be a compilation target for essentially any modern language. 
that you can compile Dart into WebAssembly, you can compile C into WebAssembly. I'm guessing you should be able to compile C++ into WebAssembly. And so then if we consider that Impeller is probably a combination of C and C++, in theory, one might think you could compile that to WebAssembly and send that to the browser. However, I don't, Impeller is bringing a lot of graphics pipeline control to Flutter, which by the way, I think is excellent. I, I want them to do as much of that as humanly possible. I want them to elevate any part of the graphics pipeline that they can, because eventually one of us is going to want whatever that piece of the graphics pipeline happens to be. But the question that then comes up is, how does that graphics pipeline system integrate with browser APIs? Because on Linux and Mac and Windows, you have, and what are the three different technologies now? You, you have Metal for Mac, you have, I think, Vulkan for Linux. Ray, do you know what the kind of GPU system is for Windows? Uh, no, I'm out of my depth here. Okay. I think it's, uh, sorry, it's, it's DirectX or Direct2D. Okay, I, th I thought that had been replaced a while ago, but if it's still DirectX or one of those, that makes sense. So there, so Metal, Vulkan, and DirectX or Direct2D, these are these really low-level systems for interacting with the GPU. Historically, OpenGL was a universe. Probably everyone here has heard of OpenGL. OpenGL was a version of the same thing, but it worked across all of those platforms. So OpenGL commands would work against Windows, Mac, Linux, and the various GPUs. There's In recent years, there has been a move away from OpenGL because I think I don't, I don't know which company or which technology really put the pressure here. I'm going to guess that maybe it was Apple with their custom silicon chips. And so they're, now they want to just control everything in their hardware stack. And that includes GPU access. So if you really want the top level performance against Apple's own chips, you have to use Metal. And if you're going to use Metal, it means you're not using OpenGL. And so now we're in this situation where, okay, you either need to target Metal, Vulkan, or, or DirectX. But then the question becomes, if that same impeller engine, which has those three different pathways, if that is then compiled into WebAssembly and sent to the browser, what, what GPU APIs are even available in the browser? And how does the engine target those if impeller is made for Metal, Vulkan, and DirectX? Now, maybe there's a really obvious answer to that question, but much like Ray, this is really outside of my depth. Uh, the C code is is where I stop trying to read code. I just can't. I can't understand C. I can't understand C And I definitely don't know the depths of what's happening in the Flutter engine. So it's possible that Impeller will have a code path for the web. It is possible Impeller itself will be compiled to WebAssembly, or it's possible that Web remains this very different path in the Flutter engine and maybe Impeller never goes into the browser. That's also a possibility. Because uh, of course, you'll notice when you download a Flutter app on the web, you load Canvas Kit. So there are kind of these pre-existing pieces of, of browser technology that Flutter is already leveraging, and maybe that's what Flutter has to keep doing there. But again, I think you know maybe we should bring Kevin Moore on here, or maybe we should even see if we can find a Flutter engine developer who'd be willing to drop by and talk about some of these details. I think that's a great idea. 
Awesome. We'll send out some some message feelers then. Ray, did you want to jump in? Uh, yeah, I had a question for you, Bowden. So uh, you've been with Flutter uh, for a long time, and um, I actually liked quite a few of uh, uh, the things that uh, you've posted. Uh, how I guess uh, what are you working on uh, recently? Um, I haven't seen you around that much. Right. So um, I've been taking a, a few months off actually to um, to fix a, a health issue that I've been struggling with uh, lately, and uh, I'm now on my uh, for the treatment that I'm trying, hoping this will work out okay. So during to my health issues. I've been taking some time off in the last uh, months, but uh, before that, I was uh, working with a with a company and uh, trying to uh, help them port that their uh, web app. They had it previously written in React, and I helped them port it to to Flutter. So it was a Flutter web app, and uh, using Flutter web for almost uh, one year, I ran into some limitations, and when I first uh, find out about uh, WebAssembly and the possibility of not uh, using JavaScript on the browser, I was like, I can wait for this. I mean, give me WebAssembly right now. If I can get rid of JavaScript, I'm totally up for it. So uh, uh, just to go back to your question, uh, I have been um, focusing on my health issues in the last few months. But I hope to be more active uh, starting with uh, uh, January next year. And maybe work on, on something new. I don't know yet. Oh, wow, very cool. Uh, yes, I'm sorry to hear about your health issues. Uh, I personally, uh, I wanted to start you know, these flutter spaces uh, last year, but I wasn't able due to my own uh, health issues. Um, and I'm only able to now because of Matt, you know, helping. So uh, I, I understand. Yeah, I hope you get better, Bogan. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you back and contribute, you know, a lot more because uh, I, I really like your stuff. Thank you. Thanks so much. And I'm, um, I'm sorry to hear that you've gone to some health issues as well. And I hope uh, you're, you're better now and things will get better with time. I guess I should take this opportunity to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. So is it pronounced Bowden? Uh, so uh, um, in my uh, my country it's Bogdan, but uh, from people I've worked for uh, almost a year in the U.S. and everyone call, was calling me Bogdan. Okay, so Bogdan. Uh, yeah, but Bogdan it's it's okay. Yeah. Bogdan, Bogdan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do my best to figure out everyone's uh, name who comes up to speak. I'm absolutely terrible at pronouncing names and even hearing other people pronounce them, but I'm gonna do the best that I can. Uh, okay. Thank thank you for your effort, but there's uh, absolutely no no issue. I mean, I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. So pronouncing my name is not an, not an issue. <laughs> okay. All right. I appreciate it. Um, all right, so now, Ray, I probably got to drop off in about the next 10 minutes, so let me just open the question. Do you want to take over after that, or do you think we should start winding down for the day? Uh, I think we can start winding down, uh, but 
Well, I'm here. I, I'll, I can be here for as long as, you know, we have uh, speakers, anyone that wants to come up and speak. Okay, sounds good. Uh, now, so at the very beginning, I introduced myself and Ray introduced himself. There were only a handful of people on the call at that point. I think it might make sense, Ray, for us to kind of do the same thing toward the end of the call, just to make sure at the end of all this, people know who we are and you know, where we come from. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt Carroll. I was on the Flutter team from 2018 to 2020, uh, working out of the Google Mountain View campus. Since 2020, I've worked as a Flutter contract developer, a consultant, a trainer, an educator. Uh, I provide proprietary development services under the super declarative brand, but I also run a team called the Flutter Bounty Hunters. We work at the Flutter Bounty Hunters, we work exclusively on open source Flutter and Dart packages. And the idea there is that we find problems that many different companies have. Those companies choose to fund us to build a solution, which allows them to split the cost among all those different companies. So everybody gets a price cut. But what we build, we release open source. So once we build it, once we solve that problem, the entire community has that solution forever. Uh, so that's what I focus on these days. Uh, and then Ray, how you want to go over what you do again? Oh, sure. Thanks, Matt. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Ray Lee. Um, I build uh, the uh, the NoCD app. Uh, so NoCD is a digital telehealth treatment service for people with OCD. Uh, so if you or someone you know has OCD, uh, it's a great app to download to be able to get um, therapy services. Um, I'm also the CEO and founder of Codelessly, uh, which is a visual builder uh, for Flutter web and Flutter uh, apps. Um, and we have a product called Cloud UI uh, that is currently being used by a few dozen companies, uh, which lets you uh, do dynamic UI inside of your Flutter app. Um, and it's really powerful for uh, bringing in marketing and sales uh, to allow them to be able to ship content into your app. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I think most uh, people probably uh, can click on my profile, check out the links if you want. Um, and also, if anyone else would like to come up and uh, share you know, about themselves or what they're working on, uh, please press the mic button and we'll bring you up. Because uh, we want to, we also want to learn about you know uh, everyone else in the community as well. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, come up and share. Uh, so Justin, uh, if you want, uh, do you want to you know introduce yourself or Bogdan? Well, we, uh, Bogdan, yeah, you're free to introduce yourself as well, and you too as well, Rutbeck. Uh, and right now, I'm also trying to bring up uh, Abdurgen. Uh, but uh, he just dropped off. Yeah, I, I accepted his request, but he it looks like he dropped off as soon as he started to connect. Uh, and so as we kind of wind things down, once again, we want to leave the door open to anybody you'd like to come up. And if you want to mention something you're working on before we drop off, feel free to come up and do that. Also, feel free to come up with any final questions or comments. And again, to the people who are already on stage, if any of you would like to introduce yourself or talk more about your background, feel free. So just to, to add something, um, I got into Flutter um, 
through desktop development. So I was using des desktop technologies before the, uh, coming to Flutter. I was actually uh, looking for a, a solution to build a UI um, easily for um, Windows and for Mac. And I tried Qt and uh, uh, other um, solutions, Electron, and finally got into Flutter. So uh, uh, my introduction to Flutter was through uh, desktop development. And uh, I also developed a package uh, for um, desktop apps uh, to help you customize your app window. It's called the uh, Bits Dojo window. Uh, fortunately, I, unfortunately, I haven't had the time to take care of it due to my uh, health issues, but I will get back to it uh, soon. So if anyone is uh, interested in using uh, Flutter for desktop development or has any questions, maybe I can help with that. Great, thanks. And then uh, Rudvik and then Justin, would either of you like to, to talk about your background and of course you don't have to but just want to make sure each of you has that opportunity uh, yeah uh, thanks Matt uh, yeah thanks a lot I have to be here so hey everyone uh, I'm Ruthwig so I'm a flooded at pieces uh, so pieces uh, where we are uh, basically building a set of products that integrate across your different workflow environment like browser ID desktop and help you like uh, helps you like the speed up and make it easy to like kind of share and save code that you come across in these different environments and gather more data on that uh, what you save and share so we have our uh, flutter like uh, our desktop app and all of our flutter products like web extension and uh, web sharing app are building uh, flutter so i particularly work with uh, flutter web apps and web extension that uh, we have uh, and uh, I'm like uh, uh, personally, I'm also the maker of AppShorts. So AppShorts is the Flutter desktop app, uh, which is basically an image editor for creating App Store screenshots. So I worked on it uh, like uh, as my side projects and try to like uh, just to see like uh, what are the uh, things that I can uh, achieve with Flutter and uh, on desktop and see how how far I can push it. Uh, I also work with like uh, Matt on Flutter Bounty Hunters project, so like uh, that's been one of a thrilling experience. And personally, uh, sometimes I work on uh, do some creative coding and stuff, like uh, working with uh, Flutter animations, shaders to create some unique animations or just digital experiences, but using Flutter. Yeah. So if anyone want to talk about that, I'm happy to like uh, like uh, help around it. Yeah. Thanks, Rodvik. Justin, is there anything you'd like to mention as we close things out? Yeah, so I would like to introduce myself. I am working, I'm a filter developer working for, currently working for Moxie Labs, which is a company based in uh, Philadelphia. We are an agency. Uh, I, like, currently I'm working for a project for Honey Grow, which is a uh, restaurant. Uh, I'm working for the app for the Moab and their for their kiosk. So that's my background, and I am actually one of the Flutter Bounty Hunter wannabe. Uh, I worked uh, for a few weeks with you last year, Matt, and uh, unfortunately, I failed to be one one of the Flutter Bounty Hunter. But I've been 
uh, following you for the updates and learning further from you. So thanks for the the education that you give for the community. You don't have to be that hard on yourself, Justin. I failure failure is a strong word, but Justin did work on uh, on linkification within Super Editor, which uh, it, it was a a bit tricky to to figure out. Um, and in fact, there there are even some features related to linkification right now that we're still dealing with. So it's pretty much anything that I think you do with document editing tends to be uh, a little complicated. Um, so it's it's a tough problem space. But thanks for telling us uh, about the work that you're doing now for, for that agency. And, uh, and I'm glad you're out there still doing professional Flutter development. Uh, now, we did have another person jump on stage. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to totally butcher this name, but Sasalinian, uh, would you like to, to come up and talk about anything? Yes, sure. Hi, guys. Um, you know, it's evening, yeah, so I hope we are doing good. And uh, this like my third time being on, the, um, on this particular, um, what do we call it? Um, this space. is a space. Uh, thank you space so um like um i would say i'm a software guy yeah, i i, I find myself as a software missing yeah basically so i am like from this native android background um java kotlin then i moved to flutter about three years ago uh currently i'm working on an ai based healthcare products for alzheimer's and um dementia patients so it has um, features to help them personalize um, their day-to-day -day activities. And it's very, 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 um, should I say, um, yeah, it's a trivial product because um, we, we do have like some things in place where you expose the user's data to GPT. And one of my major fear is, you know, um, we, we have this so abstract, thoughts about AI, you know, being so aware of itself at some point in the future and being able to pick those data and, you know, do something by itself. Um, but I, I just want to believe with the little progress or more contribution on how to constrain this artificial intelligence to manage users' data, I hope we would not run into stuff like that because I, I, also, like work on the back end of this product when I browse through probably inventory sometimes, you know, some of the end users probably save some very, very, very personal information, which I feel it's very delicate to be exposed to an AI to undo and like, you know, browse through the inventory to help those users live by their day-to-day -day activity. Well, I would say it's, uh, it's like a very interesting one for me been able to like contribute to the healthcare sector because yeah, it's um it's um it's like a, a trivial one because yeah we all like probably have one or two things we're looking at for might not be directly dementia or Alzheimer's or something. Probably like myself, I do have like an healthcare issue I'm trying to like, you know, um hopefully get treated properly. So being able to like contribute to that nature of healthcare or healthcare generally, and it's a UK-based product basically. So 
I I just hope um, I would be able to like you know give give the community back. And uh, I would say I've been enjoying this community. I've been enjoying the Flutter in general. Moving from the native Android, it's been awesome because Flutter like it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, it makes life a lot easier. Um, yeah, that's that's basically everything about me and the products I'm working on at the moment. Thanks. Well, hey, thanks for coming up on stage and telling us about that. I certainly hope that you know whatever you're building to help dementia patients, it works out, and I hope that uh, that the patients are helped by what you're building. I also came from an Android background, uh, and I don't ever want to go back. Everything about Flutter is uh, is preferable to me as compared to Android. So, I sure hope that the Flutter community just keeps getting bigger and stronger from here. All right, Ray, I think I've got to go ahead and drop off. Do you want us to go ahead and wrap up the call? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, Sounds just, good. Just a last reminder to everyone that we do try to do this every week at the same time. Uh, we'll have a web page out probably by next week. That'll be a place that you can share uh, information about these spaces with others. If other people end up hosting, we can add them, them to that web page as well. And uh, I hope that all of you show up each week and you come tell us what you're working on. And we have kind of more of a community discussion like we eventually did today. So thanks for being here. And uh, we'll see most or all of you.